thought I heard you kids out here. Hi, sweet cakes. This your business dinner? Hi, I'm Papa Bear. Come on in and have some tang. Just made some fresh. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to learn more about it because you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. I hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every two weeks. This is going to take several years, as you can imagine. So please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. And even if you have some trivia to disclose, our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. And we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's Let's get started. Welcome Moonlighting fans to Moonlighting the podcast. Today we're talking about season one, episode four, and the episode's called Read the Mind, See the Movie. A quick synopsis about the episode. Blue Moon is hired to provide security at a company run by one of Maddie's friends, which has been plagued by information leaks and sabotage. The company's main competitor, Preston Holt, claims that he is getting his inside information from a psychic named Omar Gauss. David and Maddie discover that the father of Maddie's friend also visits the psychic and conclude that he is selling company secrets. However, the case turns out not to be that clear cut when they discover who is actually behind the whole thing. Hi, Grace. Hi, Shauna. How are you? I am well. I am well. And how are you? I am doing great. Yes, I was just reviewing the episode again to be able to discuss um, in detail with you today. What was your initial reaction or overview of the episode? My initial reaction. Um, you know, this is an episode that I always think of as not, it's definitely not pure moonlighting to me. It isn't, yeah, initially I think like it's not that important of an episode or something like that. This is to me, them still kind of finding their way through the characters. These are my thoughts kind of going into it not really a go-to episode, but while watching it, um, I guess I'm always surprised or I was surprised again, kind of like I was um, with rewatching Gunfight of the Soso Corral, how enjoyable it is, how many, you know, references there are, how much there are like the pure Maddie and David um, moments, like the Maddie, 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 David, 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 and the, you know, all of the the things that go into their characters and, and things like that. So um, I just always uh, am a bit surprised, I guess, how I, how much I enjoy these earlier episodes that I don't always go back and rewatch um, on a regular basis. What about you? What was your initial thoughts? I really like the episode. I like the plot and I like the twist at the end. So yeah. I really like that side of it. What I don't like is 
<laughs> yeah. Whenever I watch it, this is the episode, I don't call it Read the Mind, See the Movie. I actually call it the male-dominated sexist episode. And the reason for that is that there's several points. There's David trying to dominate and take over the case, saying that, listen, leave it up to me, I'll fix everything. Then you've got Omar Gauss making sexist remarks to Maddie. Were you prone when Preston Holt told you that? Then you've got Brian Baker being patronising to his sister, saying that she doesn't know anything about business or friends or anything. And then you've got Preston Holt, who wants to create the appearance of sleeping with her because the chauffeur is actually expecting him to stay over. His driver. Yeah, Yeah. right. Okay. Um, And I'm like, really? Really? No worries. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Look, that's just one of the things that I don't like about the episode, but otherwise the plot, everything else, the interactions between all the characters, love it. Love the episode. Yes. At its core, at its essence, it is a very good episode. Um, Yeah, it's a little bit strange. Um, And remember, it also goes by another name, An Inkling of Murder, which is how it's still listed online um, some places, which is kind of funny. So whether you call it Read the Mind, See the Movie, male-dominated misogynist episode, or An Inkling of Murder, yeah, no matter which way you slice it, it is a bit of, um, there are some strange themes going on. There is the essence of moonlighting, but still, I don't think that they found their complete footing yet on this episode. Yeah, it's it's a lot on location. We don't see a lot of the Blue Moon Detective Agency. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's just mainly on location or other sound stages. Maddie and David seem like like babies here. They're they seem very young to me. I don't know, they seem like very just a bit different. Maybe maybe it wouldn't be so obvious to fans that are just coming into moonlighting or whatever, you know, like, oh, what's the difference between them? now and then when they're really like Maddie and David and things like that. But, you know, a show always takes a while to find its footing. I just think this episode is them still doing that. And like, even I guess Sybil and Bruce's interaction and stuff like that is still very like new, you know, which comes out then in Maddie and David. The episode was episode four in season one. It first aired on March 12th, 1985. It was directed by Bert Brinkerhoff and it was written by Joe Gannon. The guest stars were Cotter Smith who played Brian Baker, Bill Morrie, who played Carl Baker, Lenore Kasdorf, who played Vivian Baker, Joe Lambie, who played Preston Holt, and John Harkins, who played Omar Gauss. Okay, so the director, Bert Brinkerhoff, he was actually born in 1936 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He has 85 credits as a director, uh, 45 credits as an actor. He was an actor as well and he has two producer credits. So he actually goes back to 1953. So he must have been 17 years old when he first started. Um, He mainly directed TV series and some TV movies. I won't go into the years, but people will know roughly what years this was. So he did The Betty White Show. He did Dynasty. Looks like his longest stint was The Lou Grant Show. Uh, He did 13 episodes, and that's what he's mainly known for, apparently, from 78 to 82. Mm-hmm. Now, here are some a lot more crossovers. 82, we did Heart to Heart, Cagney and Lacey. In 85, he did New Heart and Moonlighting. Only one episode of Moonlighting, however. Yeah. Um, yeah. So from 82 to 86, he did Remington Steel. He did seven episodes of that. 86 to 88, he did five episodes of Magnum PI. Uh, he did, se- oh no, he did 17 episodes of Alf. So he's done. Oh, Alf. Yeah, I used to love Alf. Oh, I know. <laughs> My daughter loved Alf. Yeah, that was from 87 to 89. So he actually did more episodes of ALF than he did of Lou Grant. 
yet he's known for doing Lou Grant. Four episodes of Matlock, five episodes of Beverly Hills 90210, three episodes of Touched by an Angel, and he also did Seventh Heaven. He was actually nominated for three Primetime Emmy Awards for uh, Lou Grant, and he was nominated for a Daytime Emmy Award for the ABC Afternoon Play Break. So that's our director. Joe Gannon, he, he wrote this episode. He was also a producer and director. He was born in Dublin, Ireland, and he came to America at the age of 17 and got a job running lights for the Avalon Ballroom. He was actually raised in England. He began his show business career running light shows for Pink Floyd. Oh, wow. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So he has 18 writer credits. In 1982, he did Archie Bunker's Place. He did Gloria. He did one episode of Moonlighting in 85. And he did The Twilight Zone in 85. But obviously, that's a new Twilight Zone. 11 episodes of In the Heat of the Night. And he did a couple of Law and Order, Criminal Intent and Criminal Mind and an episode of Law and Order. So mm. the last thing I found for him was 2009. Brian Baker is Cotter Smith. He was born in 1949 in Washington, and his name is Joseph Cotter Smith. So he goes by his middle name by the looks of it. And something I didn't know about him, he was actually previously married to Mel Harris from 30-something. Ah, really? Yeah. There's a few crossovers again with this gentleman. Looks like his career goes back to 82. So he was in St. Elsewhere, Hill Street Blues. Um, 84, he was in Cagney and Lacey. And 85, he was in Moonlighting. Uh, 86, he was in The Twilight Zone, the TV series. Also in 86, he was in Murder, She Wrote, which I'm so excited about because I love Murder, She Wrote. I love Angela Lansbury. Yeah. Um, So now I have to go back and get the box set out from the top shelf up there where it's probably got dust on it. Because he played Robert Ryan in one of the episodes in 1986. I'm going to have to go back and see which one that was because I don't remember him being in it. Yeah. Yeah, so he was in L.A. Law. He was in Chicago Hope. uh, He was in Law and Order. He's been in quite a few things. Night Stalker, NCIS, Without a Trace, Ghost Whisperer. So that's another crossover. Brothers and Sisters, The Good Wife, Damages. Mm. It was in Madden Secretary too in 2015. From 2013 to 2017, he was in The Americans. And more recently, 2017 to 2019, he was in Midhunter. But he's mm. still filming. He's actually oh. in production for a lot of things at the moment. There's quite a few things here. So he's still working. He's still, God bless him. Still working actor. Yeah, Mindhunter it might be. Mindhunter, that was a show on Netflix that was really good. Oh, getting, okay. in, getting inside the mind of um, criminals. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. I wish they had more or more seasons of that, but they I think they canceled it. I was really into that show. Oh, really? I'll have to investigate. Yeah, yeah long-time working actor, still going. Yes. Interesting. Um, Bill Morey, I think that's how you say his name. He played Carl Baker, or as David says, Baker Sr. He was born in 1919 in Framingham, Massachusetts, but mm-hmm. unfortunately passed away in 2003 in Santa Monica. Now, obviously, he goes way back. Yeah, it looks like his career goes back to 1972. The most notable ones that I can recognise are Kojak, Mannix, Anola Gay, Mork and Mindy. Oh, yeah, I used to watch that. 1979, yeah. Uh, Happy Days. Yeah, it looks like he was in an episode of Happy Days in 81. He was Army Captain John Slaughter. Mm, Wow. Um, Laverne and Shirley, Archie Bunker's Place, 
and this is this one's great too. The Thornbirds. Oh um, yeah, that was a TV miniseries, nineteen eighty three. That was really good. Simon and Simon. <laughs> there is just so many crossovers. I can't get over this. Um, I know. Eighty four, Saint Elsewhere, and a, a, again in eighty four, Remington Steel. Now it's funny because I looked at the the chronological order of Bert Brinkerhoff and. Bill Morey, and they would have been in on Remington Steel at the same time because that was 1984. Okay. Cagney and Lacey in 84, and then he did obviously an episode of Moonlighting. He was in G.I. Joe. He was in Knott's Landing, Hill Street Blues, Santa Barbara, and he was in Dallas for quite some time by the looks of it, on and off mm. for about seven years. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Mm. This one's for you, Shauna. The new Leave it to Beaver TV series. Ooh, the new Leave It to Beaver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was in nineteen revival. Yeah, yeah, nineteen eighty eight. Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero. L A Law, Full House, John Larroquette Show, Murder One. I used to like Murder One. Nineteen ninety seven, and this one intrigued me too. He was Mister Probst in Frasier because I am a crazy, crazy, crazy Frasier fan. So I have to look that up as well. Go back and see which character that was. And the most recent was in the year 2000, uh, Beggars and Choosers. So that's the last thing I could find about him and I couldn't find any awards. But that's um, Baker Senior. Okay. Lenore Kasdorf. She was born in 1948 in Queens, New York, and she actually has 89 credits as an actress. Her career began in 1971. She's been in so many things. I can't even, yeah, Mannix, Emergency, Mod Squad. Oh, I just love my mm. Barnaby Jones, Ironside, six, the Six Million Dollar Man. She had four different roles in the streets of San Francisco. I used to love Michael Douglas. Oh my God. Starsky and Hutch, Guiding Light, Magnum PI, TJ Hooker, Days of Our Lives. She was on Days of Our Lives oh, yeah. for a while. Yeah. Simon and Simon, The A Team, Moonlighting, Knight Rider, Matlock, Santa Barbara, Jake and the Fat Man. 90210, In the Heat of the Night. A lot of wow. our actors, a lot of our actors have been in the heat of the night. Yeah. This is Vivian Baker, right? She played Vivian yeah, Baker. Yeah, Vivian Baker. Yeah, sorry, I didn't say that. Yeah. Murder, She Wrote, she did four episodes. That's where I recognise her from. Oh, do you? Yes. Star Trek Next Generation, Babylon 5, Bold and the Beautiful, NYPD Blue. The last thing I saw was 2004, which was called Cellular. So a little bit of trivia about Lenore. For her senior high school class trip in Thailand, Lenore floated down the River Kwai on a raft for a week. Wow. Hmm. Gosh, a week. Yeah, because her father was a, a colonel in the U.S. Army and he was stationed in Bangkok, Thailand. So she yeah. went to school there between 63 and 65. So she is now 73 years old. God bless her. Hmm. Now, John Harkins, who got a special guest star credit, he played Omar Gauss. He was born in 1932, but unfortunately passed away in 1999, um, age 66. Mm-hmm. He was actually best known for a film in 1984 called Birdie, which starred Matthew Modine and Nicolas Cage, and also for Absence of Malice in 1981, which starred, um, I'm pretty sure that was Paul Newman and um, Sally Field. And also being there in 1979. So his career began in 1965. The most memorable ones that um, roles that he's been in is the Mary Tyler Moore show in 75, Family in yeah. 77, All in the Family in 78, 
yeah, Moonlighting in 85. Um, he did three episodes of Cagney and Lacey. He was in Golden Girls, Murder, She Wrote, L.A. Law. And he also did five episodes of Dallas. Wow. Um, four episodes of Matlock. Oh, he did one episode of Picket Fences. Do you remember Picket Fences? Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and then he did, in 2000, he did a, something called Nature Boy. It was three episodes, which was a TV miniseries. So that's the last thing I could find on John Harkins. But he was integral to the plot in this episode. Yes, definitely. Now we have Joe Lambie, who is our millionaire playboy, Preston Holt. Oh, right, uh, yes. He, <laughs> he was born in April 1944. He was born Joseph Samuel Lambie. He has 34 actor credits. In 83, he was in General Hospital. He was in The Edge of Night, Little House on the Prairie, St. Elsewhere. In 84, he was in Remington Steel. You see where Glenn got his people from? I know. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> kind of did made their rounds and did the greatest hits in those days, didn't they? Yeah. The A-Team, Santa Barbara, um, Moonlighting in 85, and then between 82 and 85, he was in Falcon Crest. Okay. Yeah, 30 episodes, he played Sheriff Robbins. 1988, there was a TV series called Crossbow, and then 87, 88, he was in Guiding Light, six episodes. He was also in MacGyver. Yeah, he played two different characters at separate times. He was in The Heat of the Night and he played Richard Grace in Nowhere Man. And the last thing I could find was something called Trade Day in 2001. So that's the last thing I can find on our Millionaire Playboy. Okay, yes. Yeah, a couple um, just before we move on, um, things about what you've said. Uh, Yeah, one thing I noticed um, is the director only did one episode, which um, is just interesting because, you know, as we know, like Peter, Peter Werner, um, who directed last week's episode, I think, and then he directs the next one and many after that. I just wonder how and why, you know, they had a director come on for one episode. I just wonder why Peter Werner did so many episodes and like this guy did one and you know, some other directors only did one and some did um, many episodes. So it's kind of interesting, like Will McKenzie and and things like that. One thought. And then the other thought is um, the writer. So we know Glenn really wrote all of the episodes. And even in some of the commentary, Glenn says that he would put different writers' names on the episodes, although he wrote most of it. Because, you know, just for the dialogue and just because of the show and just because we've heard um, Glenn talk about it many times, I mean, really, Glenn was the one writing almost every word, you know, so I, I wonder what it means that this writer's name is on the episode. Did he take a pass at it? You know, maybe Glenn wrote initially and then he had like a couple of writers go over it and see if they could add some jokes or um, you know, look at the material or whatever. You know what I mean? I just wonder like what that means that um, this writer's name is on the episode when we, we really know that most of it comes from Glenn. Yeah, I, I think we need to get a bit more background information. And going back to the directors, yeah, I when they chop and change directors, I'm not sure. I'd like to know the reasons why maybe they think a certain director is more suited to this particular episode because of blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or yeah. that director has already been um, picked up by another company to do another film or TV series. It yeah. could be a number of reasons. I think I worked in um, production a little bit at some point in my life. And um, uh, we'd have to look during these seasons, which ones Peter Werner did. This is how I think it kind of worked. Say like Peter Werner, um, he directed Gunfight at the Soso Corral. And then I think that um, the director has to kind of spend time helping with editing, 
and things like that, you know, so they don't, he doesn't have a lot of time to say prep for the next episode. So they get another director in there to start prepping and get the episode rolling. Cause you know, moonlighting, they're always running late and then you like roll in right to the next episode um, for the next week, you know, but like the director from the week before, they kind of have to like work with editing and all that stuff. And then he directed, I think next week's episode. Right. So then Peter Werner say he has to start prepping for that. So he can't really do all of these episodes, you know what I mean? So if they stick a director in the middle and he takes responsibility for this episode, then Peter Warner doesn't have to worry about it. Yeah, I just, I mean, I would just love to know more. I'm guessing on some of this, of course, but I would just love to know more about the relationship they had with the directors and stuff like that. You know, like why Peter Warner directed so many in this first season and this guy, I'm guessing he came on. Yeah, probably had a relationship with, um, as we see so much crossover with other shows, probably had, they had a relationship. And he's like, yeah, I'll jump in on this episode and I'll direct this one. And then like Peter can pick up the next one, things like that. Yeah, because I can see that on the list of episodes where Peter Werner did the next Murder You Hear, which is the next one. Next stop murder was Kevin Connor, but then Peter Werner returns for the murders in the mail. Yeah, they obviously needed time to process everything. Yeah, yeah. And and start prepping for that future episode, you know. So maybe, maybe it made it easier for moonlighting, you know, behind the scenes and everything to have one consistent director that kind of like knew the actors, knew the set, knew how things um, kind of worked and then have other directors kind of come in and come out. Yeah. Yeah. um, I think I kind of looked at that before, like which episodes Peter Warder directed and you kind of have to pre-plan a lot of like the shoots, right. And like where you're going to, um, yeah, that's a whole other, you know, leads kind of into other thoughts I have about moonlighting about scripts coming in last minute and how hard it must've been for some of our behind the scenes people to plan for that. How do you plan the location? How do you plan the props, the sets and all of that? If you have like such last minute scripts coming down. The director would need a fair bit of time to block the scene. He's got to see the script and then block the scene the way he wants to block it. And then obviously during that time while they're filming, there could be some changes too as well while they're doing, they think, no, this isn't right. We need to change it to this direction. So I could not possibly imagine the amount of time that would have taken to do so many things on the show, and yet they delivered a show every week, well, for a little time anyway, until until they had a little bit of a break. But anyway. And a lot of it on location as well, you know. So, yeah, um, hopefully um, we're going to talk to one of the prop guys, and that would be, you know, a question that I had for him if he's able to come on. How did they plan the sets, you know, the staging, the props and all that stuff, you know, if scripts came in later, yes. you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, being on the Fox lot, you know, there might be, they might just have tons of resources that they can always tap into, you know, since they filmed so many shows there. Yeah. All those things interest me. Those are the things I think about, you know, and thinking about like how Moonlighting was all put together, but um, yeah, then the writing was the other part of it. Um, as far as like us knowing that Glenn wrote just about every word but another writer's name is on the episode. So we'd love to know more about that. All right. But anyway, here we go into the episode. Here we go, Shauna. All right. Well, we start with the case, I guess you would call it, um, which is kind of kind of a case, I guess. Um, it's Maddie and David's new gig. Other ways that they are trying to um, make money, trying to think outside the box, um, get into securities, right? And I guess this was Maddie's idea. And um, they got this gig because of Maddie's friend, Grace. Maddie has someone in her life other than uh, David in this episode. Yeah, this is when we find out she has a best friend. 
She has a best friend. Vivian Baker is one of her very best friends, she says. Yes. Where do you think they knew each other from? Oh, I never actually thought of that. Where would they know each other from? Because she doesn't look like a model. Yeah. Wouldn't say modeling days. Uh, Maddie went to college, right? Maybe they were school friends because that's not actually explained, is it? No. I kind of always imagine that they were school friends, maybe from college, maybe. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think as a childhood friend, um, they don't seem all that close, but mm. no, if I had to guess um, maybe a college days or something, mm. I wonder if Vivian knew Sam. <laughs> oh, so you're thinking way ahead, girlfriend. <laughs> They're real. They have real lives. So it's like, you have to think of like this as a whole life, right? So yeah, did Vivian Baker know Sam? Did she know Sam and Maddie when they dated before and all that? Interesting. So yeah, it starts off with uh, here at SRT testing their new weapon. And Grace, as we go along, I will have to say, you're going to have to explain some of the plot to me. I do, I, I do understand how it all works out in the end, but again, I feel like you really have to pay attention to get every (laughs) nuance of this plot and follow all the twists and turns. Yes, because in the past, I haven't bothered trying to analyze it because it got a little bit complicated, especially when if you're just watching it back in 1985 and you're watching the telly, you would not have worked out what the hell was going on. It was way too fast. Right. I know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You would definitely have to watch a few times. And here I find myself again thinking, I don't exactly understand the plot of this whole episode yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll go through that. Yeah. So we're in the basement of SRT Industries. We've got generals, admirals. Brian Baker is organizing a demonstration for this hot piece of weaponry. And it's, I found it very interesting how the father came up to them and he's not impressed at all. Nope. He does not want them to be creating weapons. And he comes up and says, in the 14th century, they invented the crossbow. When Pope Gregory saw it, he said, this weapon is so terrible, it will surely end war. Yeah. What do you think he meant by that? What I think he meant by that is um, people weren't going to be able to fight anymore because the weapons were so bad. What do you think he meant? What I believe is that Carl Baker is not supportive of their creation of this weapon so what he's saying is that back in the 14th century when pope gregory saw the crossbow he thought this weapon is so terrible it will surely end war but he was wrong because he thought the crossbow was so terrible he thought nobody will create anything worse than this so we will not have any more wars but he was so wrong right so this is what he's saying to his son why are you creating this you're adding to the problem by yeah. creating another weapon for another war, whatever that might be. Right. Yeah. He's very belittling to his kids. You know, even when he rolls away in his uh, chair, I think Vivian says, what was that? And he says, that was dad. Yeah. He's just, he seems like a very grumpy, grouchy, unsupportive father. Yeah. And I know where Brian Baker gets it from. Yeah. And Brian and the sister, it's kind of that like typical um, father child relationship where they're trying to impress him and nothing that they're doing is impressing him. So um, they have someone there that's going to demonstrate this laser and they tell everyone, don your goggles, which is a, a phrase that comes up later in another episode, don, don your goggles, like put on. So yeah, this is the part where I got a little confused. So he shoots the laser and then there's been some rewiring That's or, right. okay. And, and the guy, so the, what the rewiring forces 
the guy's hand to turn and shoot at somebody else in the room. <laughs> okay. That's, that's so, part, yeah. Yeah. So what's happened is obviously we find out later who did it, but somebody has reversed the wires in the gun. And what's yeah. happened is instead of pointing to that dummy that they were dressing at the start, it's reversed and it's attacked him instead. Okay. Him as in Brian so, Baker. No, 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 no. The the person shooting the gun. The person shooting the gun. They're going the laser to, goes backwards. Okay. The laser yes. goes backwards. That's that's correct. I gotcha. And it, I got you. It's clearly a dummy on the ground again <laughs> when yeah. they're, they're spraying yeah. it. <laughs> yes. And even the dummy that they dressed and they were carrying. And by the way, this is all very funny. This whole like, like the music and everything is so military music. Yeah. Yeah. Very military, very precision. So one thing I noted was this weapon, this huge box that's put on his shoulders and he's using this laser is he supposed to walk around with this thing on his back during a war? Yeah, I know. That would be very uh, un- unpractical. Yeah, it will be very cumbersome. <laughs> yeah, cumbersome and funny. With regards to Brian's speech, oh yeah, very self-centered. He mentioned, I think I know how Winchester felt or Colt. Oh, yeah. Or Nobel. Yeah, yeah, so I knew about Nobel, but I had to look up Winchester and Colt, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I gathered Colt had something to do with a gun, the Colt. So I did a bit of quick research on Winchester, which was really interesting because he was an American businessman and politician, and he actually took over the Smith & Wesson Firearms Company when it was uh, doing really badly in 1855. It was failing financially, but he's more known for rifles than actual yes. like revolvers. What happened was he left all his money to his son. His son died a year later of tuberculosis. So what happened was his daughter-in-law got all the money. So she got $20 million back then, which is like $550 million now. Can you imagine that? What she did with the money, she built this mansion, which was known for its lack of master building plan. The plan was shocking, right? But she built it anyway. But it's known now as being haunted by the ghosts of people that were killed by Winchester rifles. Yeah, it's called the Winchester Mystery House, Grace, and that is in California. Get out of town. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yes, it's a, uh, I've actually never toured it, but yeah, I, I've, I've heard about a lot about this house and you can go and tour it now. So it has like staircases that lead to nowhere and... 
yeah, it, it, there was like a never ending, like building plan going on in the house. And yeah, a lot of odd rooms and things like that. But when you drive, say, from like San Francisco to Los Angeles, you see billboards for the Winchester Mystery House and you can go tour it. So, yeah, that's near where I grew up. Oh, that's amazing. I looked it up and the picture of the actual home looks great, but it's obviously the inside plan that's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And I did hear that it yeah, was haunted by people who were killed by those rifles and things like that. Oh. So that's interesting. Samuel Colt, I'm assuming he's talking about Samuel Colt, an inventor and industrialist. He did the mass production of the revolver. His fortune improved when the Texas Rangers ordered 1,000 revolvers during the war with Mexico in 1846 to 48. So anyway. And then you've got Alfred Nobel, who is well known, obviously. He's a Swedish chemist, inventor and philanthropist. And he had 355 different patents. And he was actually well known also for bequeathing all his money to the Nobel Prize Institution. Yeah, so that's him. So that's who Brian Baker is talking about. Yeah, those references. Again, lots of layers. And yeah, so it's I, I get like Winchester and Colt and then like, yeah, Nobel, he's being a bit arrogant, right? He's saying, oh, I think I know how Winchester would have felt or Colt or Nobel. And he's looking at him as if they're supposed to respond. And he goes, yeah. oh, <clears throat> okay, so in other words, I better keep reading because nobody's going to respond to what, to what I just said. <laughs> so... <laughs> exactly they're just interested yes, in not... seeing the weapon you know so yeah and the father doesn't seem to be too perturbed that there's a body lying on the ground yeah um, the guy is not really he, uh, looked... he doesn't have much of a reaction to anything does he no yeah I mean somebody's just died on the ground and he's like and he just makes a smart ass comment to his son so anyway yeah exactly okay so we're kind of set up with this plot and then what do we see we see Agnes knitting. Actually, no, she's crocheting. No. no. No? The next scene is Maddie's legs. It's Maddie on the phone. Um, is that? Right? Is it really? I think then, um, so we jump, I think we jump from that to they um, pan up Maddie's legs and she has her feet on the desk and uh, it's like Maddie talking about, isn't it like, isn't no. it Maddie first and then no. Agnes? No, it's Agnes crocheting because Brian Baker rings her. So that sets up the scene that Brian's angry. No. And then, then you go to Maddie in her office showing her lovely legs. No. No? No. I'm going to leave this in because I love our little disagreements oh. on the scenes. <laughs> no, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yes, there is. Okay. You're right. <laughs> I was thinking Maddie's legs. Okay. Um, yes, you're right. Okay, Grace. I'll give that, give that one to Grace. Yes. Okay. Agnes crocheting. And do we get an Agnes rhyme? Shortly. Yes, because at the end of it, she goes, there's no need to yell. Oh, right. Yes. We do our job well. There's no need to yell. Yes. She says, okay. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm with you here, Grace. Gotcha. And she, she's crocheting. She answers with her rhyme. Someone's angry. Now it goes to Maddie. That's right. Yep. All right. Yes. And we get Maddie's legs. Now, normally we get Maddie's legs um, going into an elevator or coming out. She's got her legs kicked up on the desk. Yes. Which I don't think we've seen that before. We've seen him do that, but not her. <laughs> I know. Yeah, she does it. Um, do you mean before, like in other episodes? Yes. There are, there are a couple times that she does have her legs up on the desk. 
Um, okay. Anyway, but it's a, kind of a, just a different way of seeing, you know, one of Maddie's best features, right. Panning up her legs to her talking on the phone. And so she's talking, um, about some business and then gets interrupted. Yeah. So she's soliciting more business because she can drop names. Now she can say, well, one of my clients, SRT industries. And of course the person on the phone says, Oh, yes, we've heard of them, right? And she goes, oh, good, you've yeah. heard of them. Well, obviously, she's trying to name drop saying that, oh, they're one of my clients. And I was just, I just thought that you would want the same sort of service that we can provide. Yeah. So trying to solicit business and that's why she's on the phone. However, Agnes puts the phone call through quite urgently. So she doesn't actually speak to Agnes. She gets straight on the phone with Brian Baker and hangs up on the other people. Yeah. <laughs> and... Speaking of name dropping, does she say, this is Maddie Hayes? And she goes, yes, that Maddie Hayes. You can hear the person on the phone saying, oh, the blue moon girl. So she's using, you know, which was always David's plan, like her notoriety. Yes. And now they've got a big company that they're doing securities for SRT, trying to like, yes. And Maddie's working hard, isn't she? She's like trying to secure their business for them to keep it going. You know, something outside of detective work. Yeah, she's done a really good job to get a big company like SRT in the first place. So she's yeah. trying to build on that. Yes, that's right. Kind of good to see Maddie, you know, how hard she's working and really into it. Now, Brian Baker, he's upset. So now she has to go find David. And what's David doing? Oh, God. David is in a little <laughs> storage room with Mr. Nelson and got a lie detector test on this guy while he's playing poker. What the point of this is, um, I'm not sure. Like, he's obviously trying to find who's the leak, but I don't think playing poker is the way to to find out who's the leak in the company. So I think he's just, I don't know, kill, killing time and making out he's working when he really isn't. Yeah, I think David has found a way to combine his, you know, a way to entertain himself, play poker, with, you know, um, bluffing and poker. <laughs> right? Um, With the lie detector and all of that stuff. So yeah, just kind of David just being immature, I guess, not really taking his job seriously. He's probably done some things there well, but yeah, this is probably just a way to entertain himself in the meantime. Yeah. I think he's having a bit of fun there. And he also does an impersonation um, when he's got the cigar in his mouth. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I think it might be WC Fields, but it okay. could be somebody else. I don't know. You know, when they say, I'll raise you 10, right? Yeah. When he says that, he actually talks with the cigar in his mouth. And it reminds yeah. me of a, of a very old character from back in the yeah. 40s or 50s. I see your 10. Raise you another 50. I think it's WC Fields, but it could be somebody else. But that was just my thought while I was watching it. Yeah. You're right. And I don't know. Um, I'd have to maybe watch it again, or I, I may not have known who he was referencing, but yes, he's imitating somebody there. So again, fans, if you know for sure, please help us out. Actually, you know what? It could be one of the Stooges. Yeah. If anyone out there knows, right in. He's uh, kind of BSing this guy. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> he's taking his money. He is walking him to the door and all that stuff. And then kind of one of my favorite lines, like saying, you're an honest guy. You know, you can date my sister anytime in daylight hours, of course. And then <laughs> and then Maddie comes in and he says, hi, a sis. And he goes, this isn't the sister I was talking about. This is sister Maddie, <laughs> a nun. So, yeah. you know, 
He's not going to, of course, give Maddie um, up to anybody. I just thought that when he was saying goodbye to Mr. Nelson, that scene went a bit too long. He, Yeah, it's a, it gets a little silly. Yeah, he kept rambling on, blah, 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 loved wife and the kids. Like, I'm like, just get the guy out of there because we want you two to talk and shut up, right? <laughs> All right, so we just want you, to, you two to talk. True. That's what we always want. Yeah, love to the wife and kids. Of course, it is a little bit of like um, he and Maddie there at their house. You know, I, I like any time that they're playing like family or something, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right, though. It goes on too long. Just get them out of there. And then, yes, what's next? Maddie comes in and she's um, nervous because she's heard from Brian Baker. So she's kind of, you know, commiserating with uh, David or kind of checking in with David. Like you have been doing, you know, a good job here, right? You've been doing like what we're supposed to be doing and all of that. You know, she's really upset and he keeps trying to calm her, right? Maddie, 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 (laughs) you're putting the cart before the horse. You know, he's going to praise us. I mean, we've been doing a great job. You know, he's trying to convince her that he's not as upset as he sounded. And oh, the whole thing about like Brian Baker, oh, guys like him are always upset. A-type, you know, blood pressure high and and things like that, right? As one of our listeners wrote in, you know, giving some some of their insight to the show, you know, David kind of has a positive spin, right? Like, it's a good thing, you know, these A-types, they die and they leave room for the new up-and-coming employees to like, yeah, David's really working hard to convince Maddie that everything is fine. She's worrying for nothing. Brian Baker's not angry. They've been doing a great job, but she's not so sure. Of course, she talked to him, so she knows that he really, he was upset. But a lot of Maddie, Maddie, Maddie's. Yes, there's quite a few in this episode and there's yeah. the other way around as well, but we'll get we'll get to that. All right, so they're in the, the office with Brian Baker and Vivian Baker and he's right. basically told them that there's a leak in the company, you haven't found it, and that Holt Industries have filed two new patents which actually belong to them. So mm-hmm. he's fired them. Poor Maddie's face when she finds that out. Yeah, she's like, what? Is there something happened? Like... I wrote down, she looks truly upset. You know, she looks on the verge of tears. And then David looks concerned, but Maddie looks truly upset. But this is their, you know, supposed to be their new business. This is the way the income, you know, she doesn't want this to go wrong. Plus it's her friend. So there's a lot of reasons that Maddie has for wanting this to go well. It took a lot of convincing to get him to take them on. And Yes, exactly. Brian Baker only did it. It was Vivian's friend. So, And I really like how the scene well, actually before that I like how the scene ends but before that if you look at the direction you can tell that it was done one-on-one so they're they're obviously not there so when they're on Brian Baker and Vivian mm. Bruce and Sybil yeah. were not in the room and vice versa because yeah. they weren't in the same shot yes right there was no master shot of all four no. of them yeah no, just something I noticed and I love how David says, I'll stake my professional reputation such that it is. That it is. <laughs> yes. What about in that in that scene? Um, do you think uh, Sybil and Bruce, did we ever get see them together? Did we ever get a two shot of them or was, yes. was, it, was it all singles? Oh, we did. Okay. No, so no, we did. We got two and two, but there is not a wide shot with all four of them in the room. Brian's upset because Preston Holt has a pipeline into the company. They still can't work out who that person is. So he's fired them and now they're back in the storage room. And I love this scene. Yes, this is great. This is a great scene. Yeah. So Maddie's really upset. David's trying to, I think, you know, he really knows that she's upset, but he's trying to ignore all of that. You know, he's always trying to like put a positive spin on everything. Right. 
I think deep down he's pretty upset about it, but yeah. he doesn't want to show her that. He wants to lift her up a bit because he knows how she can get. But, you know, he walks <laughs> he walks out and leaves her in the dark. And the poor thing, she's sitting there in the dark and she's thinking, what do I do now? And she's festering and he comes in, makes it even worse by what she says. And I love how she kicks him in the leg. I love that. I love that scene. Yeah. He's kind of being like a bit fast and loose, arrogant, blah, 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 you know, just like fast talking guy, you know, collects his things, easy come, easy go, being very flippant, making jokes. Yeah. Goes out, turns off the light, shuts the door. And yeah, she's just sitting there stewing and like really pissed off about the whole situation. And then he opens the door again and we get the Maddie (laughs) sitting in the dark, sitting in the dark. (laughs) And and he says like a very strange behavior, which he says that a lot to her. He, you know, um, like she, like in, in the pilot episode, she's strange, weird behavior, Maddie and things like that. He's often calling her like stranger weird. Yeah. Yeah. But But I really like how, she goes up to him, you know, as if she was going to talk to him or hug him or something. Well, yeah. And they're holding hands. Bam. Bam. Yes. She kicks him in the leg. Easy come, easy go. Ha. Huh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. the next scene, the camera's outside that room and they're running, they're walking out and she's so angry. She's actually pointing to the ground. I love that. Mm, she's yeah. pointing to the ground saying, I did this, I got this. And she's carrying on and he's trying to calm her down and she wants to speak to Preston Holt and he's going, what What are you talking about? You want to ask the guy who actually stole the plans to the weapons, you want yeah. to ring him and ask him how we did it, as if he's going to tell you, right? Yeah. Well, you know, and, and she's right. What's wrong with asking? Yeah, I mean, gosh, what, what a, um outside-the-box kind of thought, you know, go directly to him and ask. I mean, go yeah, straight he would to ever the think source. That, you know, she is right. With this scene, I also love it because, it, you know, it has a little bit of like echoes of like knowing her, you know, with, with him like chasing after her, grabbing her, trying to grab her arm and she like whips her arm away from him. Yeah, it's a little bit of her starting to be like, no, 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 you're not going to do this to me. You know, you're not going to like turn this around. You're not going to tell me that everything is fine when I know it's not like he's so good at doing. It's kind of the beginning of Maddie not letting him do that to her. And he's only aggravating her more when he says, you know, look, I swept the place for bugs. I perform body searches. <laughs> like, really? Oh, God, I know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they say something like, um, you know, here's the essence of their characters, right? Like, or when do you get serious? Or when do you lighten up? When do you get serious? You know, and that's kind of like the essence of them, right? That's what they're always trying to like oh, get yeah. each other to do. We're outside now on location as SRT Industries. And yeah. again, he says, Maddie, Maddie, Maddie. Yeah. Okay, you did a good job, but, we, we, you know, we need to take a, a different approach. We need to go and ask him directly. Yes, and he does a lot of Maddie, 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 you know. Um, and she's going to just uh, go directly to Preston Holt and ask him where he got his information. And uh, they call him a barracuda. That's right. That's fine. I feel like some seafood. <laughs> yeah, I, that's fine. I feel like some seafood, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, this, is, this isn't the last time bar- someone being called a barracuda comes up either. Um, mm-hmm. Later in Moonlighting, yeah. I have a question. He's trying to stop her from driving off, right? And he says, guy to girl, Audi to innie. Yeah. What body part is he referring to there? Belly buttons? I don't know what he means by that. Genitalia. Like, I'm trying to talk to you man to woman, but he says, guy to girl, 
Audi to any. Audi to any. Okay. I'll just leave that one because I'm. Yeah. I, th- I mean, what pops to my mind first is belly buttons, but uh, <laughs> I think maybe he meant a little lower. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay. So, okay. yeah, she drives off and leaves him there. Poor bastard. Yeah, I know. You know, this whole sharing the car thing, there's a lot of, um, as we'll see, you know, in future episodes, a lot of logistical problems sharing one car. So now she's obviously made an appointment with Preston Holt. She's meeting Preston Holt at her favorite restaurant because she already knows the maitre d'. She can get a meeting with uh, Preston Holt pretty easily because she is Maddie Hayes. That's right. Yeah. A beautiful woman. And he's a playboy. So he would have thought, you beauty. And I really like the introduction of this scene because you got the maitre d' there and she comes out through the reflection in the mirror with yet another Mm. fur coat. I know. Is it another fur coat or was it the same one that she was wearing in uh, the last episode, do you think? I know she has a few different ones, but um, the color of it looked. No, this one was darker. I reckon the one in Gunfight was like a cream or lighter color anyway. Okay. And I thought it was really like, Boom. She walks in, doesn't shake his hand, sits down. Hi, I'm Maddie Hayes. Yes. Very kind of direct, almost, I guess, yeah, more of a business meeting, but she is dressed to the nines, like in a very glittery outfit and um, some typical Maddie Hayes hair. When Mm. she goes out, she often puts, you know, the hair is up on on her head. Seems to be her her go-to, I'm going out for the evening look. What do you think about her hairdo? Yeah, and I wasn't crazy about it. I thought it was a bit old for her. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah, I don't always love that either. Although I think uh, on the close-ups, her eyes are very sparkly. Like she looks, she looks very beautiful. Of course, she's just beautiful, but I think she looks really beautiful on the close-ups. You know, very like her eyes are very sparkle, sparkly. That's right, <laughs> through the fusion discs, because it looks completely different to when it turns to Preston Holt. I know, I know. When... She first arrives, the camera is on both of them and they start talking and that's the last time you see them together. The rest of the shots are just her or him, then her and him. Okay. One kind of master shot showing the two of them and then maybe um, film separately, possibly. Then they would have just filmed it separately, I'd say. And then she tells a story about uh, when she saw her first magazine cover. Again, you know, I always just think of like Sybil, if it's a, a story that rung true for her, maybe. Maybe just Glenn just wrote it in, imagining Maddie's life as a model. But yeah, just seeing that first cover and how, you know, she's on the cover of a magazine, but she does, she didn't have the money to even buy a copy of it. I think that's Sybil talking. Yeah, I kind of do too. I think it definitely at least rings tr- very true for her. Um, she's quite flirty in this scene. Yeah, she is a little flirty because she wants some information. Yes. Yeah, I guess that's why she's doing it, you know? Yeah, like... When we see them in the back of the limousine and stuff like that, and when they get out and he's walking her to the door, she's, yeah, I don't know, flirtier side might be a little bit of Sybil. I don't know, like we don't, we don't always see Maddie that flirty. No, she's being very friendly and we, we're not used to seeing her be like that. Do you think she is like truly kind of charmed by this guy at first, of course, when he walks her to the door, he ruins it, but she says, like, this has been a very special dinner for me. For me, too. You're a terrific listener, a wonderful date, and a very nice man. They kind of hit it off. They kind of have a good time together. Like, maybe in a different world, you know, they might actually date. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The same age. He was very handsome. 
And she was probably taken aback by that. But then she realized, you know, I need to get some information how you how you're getting all this information from SRT. Yeah, this is a man that Maddie should date that she would look good with you know, in a, in a different world or whatever. But um, anyway, yes, but she is keeping herself mindful that she's getting information and it's all for the case. He ruins it with his suggestion or his like reasoning that he should spend the night or, he, you know, could he at least come in because the driver or his chauffeur would be what shocked or disappointed or something if he wasn't invited in. That's right. But before that, when they first arrive, they yeah. come through a gate. This is yet another house. This is not the same house from last time. Right. Because they didn't drive up to the door because you can't because of the pathway. As they're coming up, it's pitch black in the background. But when they get closer in another shot, closer to the door, all the lights in the background are blue. Did you notice that? Yes. I think I saw in the distance there were tennis courts over the um, over a fence or something like that or a wall. So, yeah, definitely a different location than the pilot, not the same house. Otherwise, the driver could drive straight in, you know, like they did when David drove her home that day. Blue back there. I thought I was seeing some tennis courts or something. So they're on location somewhere. But yeah, just kind of uh, they chose a door. But the door was similar to like Maddie's door. It's the same. Yeah, it's the same. Exactly the same. Now, whether they've copied exactly for the one on stage, I think it was stage 11. I think her house was on. Yeah, yeah or at stage 10. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I. Yeah, but that's exactly yeah. the same door. They replicated it. I don't know. but Yeah, I was thinking that too. Um, yeah, I think I said in one of the earlier um, podcast episodes they were on stage 21. They were actually on stage 20 at Fox. That was the main blue moon. I think yeah. stage 11 um, or 10 was on the Fox lot for Maddie's house. Um, I was thinking that maybe they filmed them walking up from the street and then and then when they were at the door, that was actually on a fox lot, on the fox lot. Yeah, I was thinking with her shoes. She had really nice shoes on when she gets into the restaurant. When she comes up the path with Preston Holt, I thought they're not the same shoes. But then I zoomed in and I think they are. Oh, okay, really? <laughs> How yeah. funny. She had really nice open toe shoes, more mm. open toe than she normally has because back then the yeah. other the little peak toe shoes were the fashion. Yeah, but she had different type of shoes that she would normally wear. And, of course, David has broken into her house. Yeah, how does David always get into her house? Except when, uh, you know, he really needs to. I would like to know that. <laughs> I would like to know the answer to yeah. that. There are, there are some times when it's like, David, you know how to get into that house, so why don't you just go inside? Um, but, okay, but anyway, we won't get ahead of ourselves. But um, uh, somehow David get, got into the house. And um, yeah, I don't know how he did, but it's David. Uh, maybe he did Mr. Stickpin or something like that. Ah, that's right. I was just going to say he probably did Mr. Stickpin and did the dance. Yeah. Came into the house. <laughs> um, he picked the lock. Yeah. Yes. I love how he says, hi, I'm Papa Bear. Hello, my sweet cakes. I've just made a fresh batch of tang and he's got an orange... He's got a tea towel on his shoulder with oranges on it. That's the best. (laughs) (laughs) And rubber gloves and he's got suds on his face and he's got an apron on. It's great. Yeah, really good. Yeah, and, of course, he says, oh, is is this yours? And, of course, she goes, oh, yes, hello, you know, sweetie, weedie, and she gives him a kiss because she wants to get rid of Preston Holt. Yeah, David's helping her get out of that whole situation because he probably figured, you know, a man like Preston Holt was probably going to try to sleep with Maddie. Yeah. So he better get over there and um, yeah, get in the middle yeah. of it. 
and this one thing I really noticed is when Preston Holt walks off, David is looking at him with such disdain. Mm-hmm. Like, get away from Maddie right now. Yep. Yeah, he's totally over there too. Yeah, the look on his face is like, mm, get out of here, you, <laughs> you know. He's Bruce, always. It's funny because, you know, Bruce, David, whoever you want to pick, doesn't yeah. have to say a word sometimes. It's just mm-hmm. the facial expression. Yeah. And, yeah, Maddie is actually relieved, you know, that he's there. I think that she's very relieved that um, David's there to get her out of that situation, you know, whatever Preston Holt is um, uh, suggesting happen next. But, yeah, it is, you know, of course, as I said, love it when they act like a couple. I think they should have done that more in the show where they had to act like a couple or something, you know, in some kind of uh, undercover sting or something. They had to act like a couple. I don't know. I always like it when they do. So, yeah, that whole like, is he yours? And like him? Yeah, he's mine, you know, and yeah, yeah, kissing him on the cheek and him acting like that's her husband waiting for her to get home or boyfriend or whoever, you know, it's such a cute, cute little scene. And yeah, I was um, just going to say, um, you're right. They should have done more of that, just like they did creating different characters in the black and white episode so yeah. that they could get together without actually them getting together, you know. Yeah. Yes. That would have been another way for the writers to just create yeah. two other characters for them because maybe they have to go undercover as man and wife for this particular case. And, you know, I think the fans would have really liked that. I know, yeah, and like any chance to like get them together without actually getting together, which is what they had to do for a long time, kind of like find creative ways to, you know, get them together for fans, you know, because we were so anxious for them to get together at that time. So they would do it another way. So, yeah, I mean, them going undercover, being um, doing a surveillance or acting as a, a couple or showing up at a hotel together as, you know, yeah, they could have done a, a little bit more of that. But uh, yeah, anyway, I think Maddie is relieved. But then right away when Holt leaves, she acts like really annoyed, like, what are you doing here? Why, you know, breaking into my house, going through my things and like throwing the apron up in his face. <laughs> I love that. I know it's yeah, very cute. Right. And they go into the land room. Yeah, they go into her. Yeah, as we call living room. You call it lounge room. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, lounge room. Leave it alone. Yeah, yeah, we mainly say lounge rather than living. Yeah. Yeah, so now she's divulging to David that she's just found out that Omar Gauss, Gesundheit. Uh, yeah, Gesundheit. He's selling his secrets <laughs> to Preston Holt. Holt has Omar on a retainer for anything yeah. that relates to the electronic defence business. He's going, you're not going to go down there. And she goes, yes, I'm going to go down to Brian Baker's office and tell him. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and um, David was like first belittling uh, Holt, right? Like he was talking about Preston Holt, right? The guy's a rutabaga. Like when he was, uh, yeah, he's really like disparaging any like thought Maddie might have of him being like a a handsome or charming person. Yeah. I think he said for Halloween, they dressed him as a speed bump. Yeah. As a speed bump. Yeah. That's that's so random. Okay, so what's a rutabaga? Guys, a rutabaga. Gosh, I don't know. A car? <laughs> is that a car? That's a, yeah. We'd have to look at that reference. Yeah. A, a stu- no, a Studebaker is a car. Studebaker is a car. God, a rutabaga. I don't know. Mm, I can probably do a quick search and find something, but yeah. Um, oh, uh, rutabaga. Here we go. It's a vegetable. Oh, a root vegetable. He's a vegetable, basically. Oh, <laughs> A rutabaga, R-U-T-A-B-A-G-A. Yeah, it's a root vegetable. Oh, I swear that the references in this show are really funny. 
Oh, my God. I've never heard of that vegetable. Unless we call now, it something else, I'm going to look it up it, while we're here. It says uh, a rutabaga or a swede is a root vegetable. A, oh, a turnip. It's another name for a turnip. Oh, it's a turnip. Yeah, how funny. Okay, yeah, there's a reference we didn't know, which is really funny because, yeah, I've heard that so many times. I mean, this is how, like, references go so fast past our minds, you know, and until we take the time to sit there and research it, right? Yeah, it's like you got to go word by word. Like, Glenn, you're killing me. Line by line, I know. Yeah, Glenn, like, you know, he was only, like, 30 at the time. How'd you get to have all these references at hand and stuff, you know? I mean, God, he didn't even have the internet. Yeah, so I'm assuming he had a lot of writing staff to do some research about, oh, go and do some research about this. They would have come back to him with, you know, Pope Gregory Mm. in the 14th century said this. Oh, beautiful. That's great. That's a great reference for the laser gun. The writer's room probably did a lot of, uh, you know, reference, uh, talking about references or different historical things they could pack in there or something. There's a reference for us, a new one. Back in Brian Baker's office now. That transition as well that you were just leading up to where she says, I'm going to go right in there and I'm going to tell him. And then they cut to. Boom. They're in Brian Baker's office and she's telling him. That's how the scene starts. She's telling him that. Yeah. This, um, what does she call him? An interloper. Okay. An interloper. And yeah, she's very emphatic and very like, you know, adamant. This is what's happening. Da, da, da. And he's not buying it, is he? No, he's like friends of yours. Yeah, right. To his sister. Yeah. Very like kind of demeaning. Yeah. Sister's always kind of like having to stand behind him. Like you were saying at the beginning of the episode, very like male dominated, right? Yeah. So of course, after that, you don't see or you don't hear or see what Brian calls her. They're walking down the corridor and David says, I can't believe he called me. I'm sure he didn't mean it. He's probably never even met your mother. <laughs> yeah, so we can just kind of guess you the kind of words guess that what he's, You can just guess what he has just called her. So, yeah, Maddie's like pretty stunned and quite upset that they're not listening to them. You know, she's gone to, through all this work to like find out answers for them and is still tr- really trying to like work on this and find out, find the answers. Then Vivian comes out in the hallway to greet them before they leave. And yeah. when you watch this scene, you understand why she's come out because she wants to tell them, leave it alone, mm-hmm. just stop your investigating. Yeah. And you find out yes. why at the end. But yes. this is the scene that, that sets it up that, you know, she wants them to stop investigating. Yeah, right. right. But Maddie has got to be in her bonnet, as you say, because she feels there's something underlying here that does not add up. Yes. And she's all angry and walks out. And, of course, I love how he says she gets like this, too much television. Yes, those little references. She gets like this, you know, her moods. I'm just wondering if that's a reference to Sybil and Bruce. It is well known that the work schedule was already pretty hefty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, most Moonlighting fans would know that they were disappointed when the season two was taken up. Right. They knew that, oh, my God, back to this huge workload again. So Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if that's a reference to them both because, you know, it's like too much television. She gets like this because it's too much television. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that is a good point. That could be a reference to them personally, too much television, too much like work on television. And, you know, probably like, you know, there's all these layers. Um, Also, you know, just in general, people are like, you know, with kids and things like that, they shouldn't uh, have, you know, watch too much television and things like that, like too many hours in front of the TV, mm. maybe. But now, I, I mean, I like your reference better. I think that's, uh, it's more direct to them. But he, he also, there are other times uh, 
something in the pilot. Remember when they were in the watch shop and um, he says she gets like this. I forget what he's, why he says she's um, she gets grumpy or something. Or like there's another time when he says, oh, she's very angry when she hasn't had her nap or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yes. very upset when she hasn't had her nap. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a few different like things that are going on here. Can I say something about her outfit here? Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she wears this outfit in another episode coming up. Maybe we see it, this outfit again. Uh, definitely once, but maybe twice. Do you know what episode, future episode she wears this outfit in? No. The the episode in God, she, when she comes in and it's her birthday, she's wearing the same outfit. I think it's a different shirt underneath, but it's the same like brown skirt, brown collared. Yeah. Yeah. Cause outfit. I wrote down on location again and more beige. Oh yeah. It is a lot of beige. Um, so she wears this in, in God, we strongly suspect. So yeah, we see this. I kind of like that too. It makes it seem, you know, there's not a new outfit every single time we do see some clothes come back around. Not all of them, but we do see some clothes that she wears again. But yeah, a lot of beige again. And she's got a real bee in her bonnet. And she gets in the car and she says, You believe me? No. But I believe in you. Yeah, that's the best. I love that. And she goes, it's, Oh, that was a terrific thing to say. Yeah, what a terrific thing to say. What does it mean? Mm. But I don't really understand that part of it. Why does she say, what does it mean? It is very sweet, but it's almost taken back a little bit by like, that was a terrific thing to say. What does it mean? Then he kind of just doesn't like follow up with any, you know, I don't know. You know I think they I had to cut it off there. They had to cut it off because if that had gone much. any further, it would have gotten very mushy. He doesn't want to take it too far. You know? Yeah. He's got to like save face a little bit. Right. Not be like too all about Maddie. Yeah. This or or he wanted to get in the car. Yeah, because last time she left him. So that's right. Um, so he thought, no, she's not leaving me behind again. And also, yeah. before they get into the car, he yeah. said, "You've just told a CEO of, of a major company that his bottom line is being threatened by the amazing Kreskin." Yeah. Do you know I mean, who the amazing Kreskin is? Yes, he was. Uh, an illusionist um, or he was a mentalist or he was some kind of magician, I guess. Right. Did you, yes. did you look him up? Yeah, yeah. I did look him up. I don't think I've written it down here, but yes, I had to look that up because I didn't know who the amazing Kreskin was. So. Yes. I, I mean, you know, I've heard of Kreskin before. Now, what do you think about in this episode, Maddie, like racing ahead of David? Like they're, they're not really like solving the case together. You know, it's like Maddie, Maddie's kind of like, Maybe it's because it's her friend's company and she really feels like she needs to like figure this out. But why, why isn't David on the same page as her? Like so many times, you know, it's like Maddie racing off to like, you know, do this, do that, solve this. And like, David's not really on that same page. Now, now they kind of sync up, I guess, when he gets in the car with her and they go to the next location, then they kind of start syncing up. But I, I feel like they're working separately in this episode. Yes. I think it's, it goes deeper because she doesn't want to really diminish her friendship with her friend yeah she really wants to figure this out for them plus i think that's that women's intuition that we have as well that you know this something's not right here it doesn't fit right the gut feeling you know yeah um, something more is going on something more is going on definitely because it's not our fault and that's what she's saying to david you did a good job you did everything you had to do yet somebody is releasing all this information yeah right so yeah maddie's just like tearing off, you know, trying, but now David's with her and they're in the car. And then they go to visit Omar Gauss, right? 
And the next scene is her looking through the globe. Yes. This house is full of crystal balls, a very wooden interior. Right. Very apropos for a psychic's home, I would have thought. And then David decides to straighten Omar Gauss's drawers. What are you doing? Straightening Omar Gauss's drawers. It'll be good and I'll do the same for you. <laughs> David. That's hilarious. His little innuendos, you know, he's always oh got to squeeze God. one in. <laughs> he cracks me up every time. Thank you for listening to Read the Mind, See the Movie Part 1. Stay tuned next week for Part 2. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening to, to Moonlighting the Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.